0: Welcome to the Core Connected and Committed podcast. We are so fortunate to be joined by Bola Alicia, our racial justice primary school lead, and John Lynch, the first Black head teacher in Croydon and Brighton. Over to you, Bola Alicia.
1: Um, Thank you so much, John, for joining us. Um, I'm just going to speak a little bit about John Lynch's history um, and also presence. So, John Lynch has um, retired in December 2013 after 25 years of headship in junior and primary schools in Croydon and Brighton. Um, he's worked as a consultant for Brighton and Hove on closing the gap strategies for pupils of colour and on recruitment of black, Asian and minority ethnic teachers. John is a coordinator of a mentoring programme for students of colour at Brighton University. He's currently contracted to deliver identity-based mentoring programmes between university students and pupils of colour in Sussex schools. John has delivered mentoring training to Brighton and Sussex Police, and he's a member of the Sussex Police Race Advisory Group. He also delivers training on unconscious bias and equality and diversity to the private and public sector.
0: John, you have a plethora of, of wealth of knowledge and experience and 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 today what we really want to do is to just think about your experiences as head teachers mm-hmm. so that we can provide some guidance to some of our aspiring senior leaders who are going to be joining our leaders like us program and Bola Lisi is going to talk a little bit more about the leaders like us program during the conversation so i've got a couple of questions to ask you um can you Give me five words to illustrate your experience as the first Black head teacher in Brighton.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've been thinking about that. Um, I was the first Black head teacher in Croydon as well, although I was assumed to be the first Black head teacher in Croydon when I was approached by the press. I think at the time there was another mixed uh, heritage female head teacher of a nursery that they didn't even know about, and that indicates their interest in that area. Anyway, Five words to describe my feelings. I think the first would be pride. Um, you know, I came from a, a working class background, brought up in South Wales, in a, in a challenging area. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, even as an 18 year old and got into teaching um, in one way or another. Um, and was very fortunate to meet people who supported me and to work in um, good institutions and to have opportunities that helped me to get to headship very early on. So, pride would definitely be one of the words, and, and pride in relation to who I was and my background, because obviously I was very aware that um, I was somebody who was from a minority. I didn't see many people that looked like me in my journey as a teacher or as a leader, um, and I was aware of that constantly. So I was proud to have been appointed as as a head, and um, proud to see the reactions are not only of the appointment, but of of the work that I did with schools and individuals. Another would be enjoyment. I love my job. It's such a challenging and difficult job, but um, particularly my last school, when I turned the corner to drive up the hill, I saw my school every morning. And I remember always thinking, I feel positive about going into that institution. Um, So um, enjoyment would be another, um reward obviously you know where those of us who work in teaching i know it's such a challenging and difficult job but it's a lovely place to be when you're working with young children when you're working with individuals who are caring for young children um, and when you see development and uh, all the things that you do see movement forward (coughs) excitement not only with children, but with staff as well, laughter. Um, I worked in primary schools, so there was often a lot of laughter, so reward. Um, Challenge would be another, challenge on many levels. You know, there was the challenge of working in schools, working in education, Um, the challenge of meeting budgets, meeting assessment um, difficulties and challenges. But there was also the challenge of being who I was, an ethnic minority head teacher. Um, even if if it was me acknowledging that when I went into walked into a room, there was no one else that looked like me. Um, and that that was a challenge. And sometimes I put it to the back of my mind. Sometimes it became quite obvious. Um, sometimes I was challenged in, did I do the right thing? Did I behave in the right way, particularly when working with families of color? Did I do the right thing, behave the right way, say the right thing to my white colleagues um, when we were talking about and dealing with these issues? So it was hugely challenging to be in a situation like that with no one else to talk to. One of the things that we've discussed is that I didn't know any other black or brown teachers in Brighton. And it's taken a while for that sort of network to grow. Um, so yeah, and satisfaction would be another. You know, it's, it's extremely satisfying to work. You know, my last school, there were about 54 staff, 400 or so children. It's extremely satisfying to see, to be part of an institution that is working well, to witness people coming into school in the morning with happy faces. Uh, going out of school in the evening um, with a sense of um, enjoyment and satisfaction and achievement. So, yeah, it it was satisfying. I think those were five words.
0: I think those were five also. I think um, a lot of those qualities and and those words uh, resonate with some of the people who are going into our Leaders Like Us programme, and this is why they want to aspire to be, senior leaders because they have a calling they they have job satisfaction already and they want to move forward to make sure that you know other people can see that satisfaction in the job and in the career path also yeah. so i think balalicia has a, a a question to lead into some of those five words that you you've given us so eloquently
1: mm-hmm. So, John, what characteristics helped and hindered you in your 25 years as a head teacher?
2: Um, I have to say, first, that a a sense of humour. I think it's really important, you know, whatever role you have in teaching. As I said earlier, we're lucky enough to be interacting with youngsters who are great, fun, exciting, come out with some amazing things and have amazing behaviour and attitudes. And it's good to bounce off that. And it's good to have a sense of humour. And I think I learned that very early on when I started to work in um, infant schools. Um, I had a job which was called an advisory teacher. So I was lucky enough to go into different schools and do work. And when I went into infant schools, I noticed that people were laughing in the staff room, enjoying themselves, having a great time. And I soon realised that that laughter and enjoyment would go move into the rest of the school, move into the institution. And when the the children see you laughing and enjoying yourself, they understand that you feel comfortable in your position and it impacts on the whole environment. So sense of humour would be one. I think it's important to be relatable. You're a senior leader, you're a leader of a school and an institution, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be approachable. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't interact positively with everybody in the institution. I know I'd had a good day when I'd spoken to every teacher in the school. I know I'd had a good day when I was walking around the school with a parent or a prospective parent and children ran up to me and cuddled me because they were excited to see me. And it's important that you you don't forget those sorts of things. I've heard of heads who are a bit distant. Now we've got executive heads who aren't even there at times. I don't know what that means. I'm old fashioned. So I think it's important to be relatable. I think another characteristic, which I can't sum up in one word, it's, it's the ability to recognise uh, the strength and ability in, in other people around you. Um, you're obviously you're the leader of an institution, of course, but you know, part of that leadership is is to develop others in their responsibility and to feel good about that development and to trust other people. You know, if you have trust within an organisation, that's one of the most important words. So I think a characteristic is is being relatable, being able to understand how good people are and rely on them and trust them is a good characteristic. Um, I think another good characteristic is, is to be able as a leader to absorb the stresses and challenges that you are faced with in that position of responsibility and not pass them on to those working with you. You know, you have to be able to deflect some of the things that come at you as a head and not exhibit that worry and concern and stress in front of your senior leadership team or your teachers. You know, you have to focus on um, the confidence, um, the relationships, the work ethic in your institution and not be a negative person. We run mentoring programs. And one of the first things we say to our mentors, don't be negative. Don't encourage negativity from your mentee. Don't promote um, negativity and don't collude. So I think it's really important uh, to absorb and deflect some of the things that you see. And the other thing I think is it, it's important to display confidence. You know, as, as a head of a school, you're, there are so many things that are happening on a daily or weekly basis. Let, w- whether it be pressure from the local authority, whether it be incidents with children, whether it be parents' complaints or uh, budgets, but you know, t- to be able to display within that um, attitude of um, just being developing a good culture to be confident in you and your role and your staff and your school and your culture.
1: Thank you so much, John. I mean, that's just such an excellent list of characteristics it really made me reflect on, um, you know, my experience within senior leadership and especially with regards to the sense of humour. I mean, you laugh so much, don't you, in school? Um, yeah. And also I think, you know, absorbing those stresses and not passing them on is so key, isn't it? Um, and so would I say, if I may ask, you know, so when you absorbed those sort of stresses and challenges and didn't pass them on, how did that impact on you? What did you do to sort of help yourself around that um, area?
2: That's a really good point. I think um obviously you can't one of the things that i thought about before this interview was you know your personal life and you know how you feel and the stresses and strains in your own mental health i was very fortunate particularly in my last school i had a good 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 chairs of governance that i could talk to and share and i think that's so important i think all heads should have a mentor somebody that they can discuss their ideas with share their ideas with um because your own attitude and mental health is so important family as well you know it's important that you're able to talk to your family or able to share with your family some of the challenges that you have and your successes and of course friends and colleagues other colleagues who are in similar positions you know networking amongst head teachers is so important I believe And, and and for for people like ourselves people of color who are in minorities in the education system it's so important to have networks People you can share with, people that you can discuss ideas with, people you can reflect with that will help you um, with your own mental health and your challenges.
1: Thank you so much. That's such a brilliant response. When I'm thinking about our Leaders Like Us programme, where we're really promoting the importance of mentorship um, and networking that's been really Mm -hmm. key to make Mm -hmm. sure that there is that sort of tribe and village isn't it that you can connect with and speak to about common issues that you
0: might face thank you I'll pass over to Lorraine and I think I think it's quite essential too because John you did mention like when you were you know, going into teaching and when you became a head, there were few and far between people who looked like you. Absolutely. And now we have, the, we have that community now, and now we have those experiences that we can look to and say, okay, you know, that may not have worked then. Why don't we try mm-hmm. it a different way? Uh, we've tried this approach. Uh, could we pick some of the good things from that and, and make sure that the environments that we're asking, that we're asking so graciously for these uh, teachers to come into is really a place where they can flourish yeah. and also to develop as leaders and I think you know you've listed quite a bit of, of qualities that you had within yourself and those qualities help to sustain you but is there anything else that helped to sustain you through the successes through the yeses and the noes, through the highs and the lows
2: mm. I think One of the things that I I find interesting at the moment is that I'm being asked to um, support individuals, individual teachers of colour that are having difficulties, particularly in, in initial teacher training. And one of the things that I feel very strongly, one of the things that I've said is that when you have people who are in the minority, the responsibility, and it's interesting that people sometimes think this, the responsibility isn't theirs to adapt and change so that they they get on well within that organisation. It's the responsibility of the organisation to make sure that that organisation or institution adapts and changes to ensure that those people who are in a minority don't experience the sort of things that they do experience that cause them disadvantage. And I think that's a an interesting point. But I think it's our very presence within those organisations that will facilitate that. So me being there, as a teacher, as a head teacher, or others, or the people that might join the Leaders Like Us programme, their very presence will set up challenges, should set up challenges for those institutions and organisations. And it's the responsibility of those institutions and organisations to respond to that. I feel very strongly about that. But there are other aspects of how I behaved or inspiration that I took from others that I, I, I carried with me all the time. And one was pride you know to be proud of who you are and what you do and what you've achieved and that you know goes along with being with other people who've been had similar experiences and knowing other people who've had similar experiences and also, also also with your family family history it i think responsibility is really important you know you're in a responsible role and you're in a role, even if you don't even if you don't talk about it or publicize it or campaign all the time, your very existence in that school is a fantastic thing because you're a person of color in an institution, in an area where there's not that much representation. And I knew for black families, just by myself being there was really important. But I, I, I also think two things that are very important. One is to stand up for what you think is right. Um, Malcolm X said, a man who stands for nothing will fall for anything and I think it's so important it's, it's hugely challenging as we've discussed it really can impact on you but it's important that you do stand up for what's right but it's also important that you look after yourself you know we cannot be charged with being responsible for the things that are thrown at us because of the colour of our skin we have to deal with it but we must look after ourselves and I We all know there are many strategies that we use in order to do that. One is reflecting on your experiences, discussing them with other people, linking, networking with people. But, you know, we have to look after ourselves, as does any leader in an institution. But I think that challenge is made greater by the fact that we're in a minority.
0: I think a lot of that is good messaging uh, for are aspiring senior leaders and good messaging for schools that are trying to help to support those aspiring senior leaders um i think you know when we when we start to fine tune and pick out some of the uh, the suggestions that you've given what would you su- what would you really say are the critical things that schools should do when when inviting new senior leaders who who may not look like the majority in the school who who come from a different culture who have different cultural capital than the majority of the school what should those schools do when they're inviting them in
2: yeah Uh, going back to my point you know i think you've got to look at yourself as an institution what is your institution doing? What has it done in the past? How does it address these issues? What's your curriculum like? What's your environment like? What what role models already exist in your school? What messages are you giving out on your websites, in your brochures? <laughs> How do you approach parents? Um, all this is a package that we we look at when we go into schools. For example, we, we do an unconscious bias training session with all the staff. And by all the staff, we encourage the school to invite governors, caretakers, cleaners, everybody that's involved within that institution, teaching assistants and teachers, so that they can get this access to this training and understand the impact and effect of unconscious bias and what can be done to improve um, inclusion, conscious inclusion. So we think all members of staff should have access to that. We also um, do a training, it's not a training, it's a support package where we get the teachers and senior leaders within the school to get together a group of, say, students, and that, it could be done with parents if you're brave enough, it could be done with teachers if you're brave enough, and ask the questions. What does this school present in terms of its environment? What does it present in terms of its curriculum? If you're a 14-year-old black girl in the science department and you're not seeing any images of black female scientists, what does that tell you about your aspirations? If you're in a curriculum and you're studying English and you're studying Keats and Byron and Wordsworth and William Golding, and then later on in your school life, you're given the opportunity to study black history about civil rights and slavery what message does that give to you about who you are so we ask schools are given the opportunity to ask those questions about their environment about role models (coughs) about their curriculum about policy and practice policy and practice to do with hair policy and practice to do with discipline behavior exclusions assessment You know, look at your maths groups, who's in your maths groups, who who makes the decisions about uh, setting and those sorts of things. What's the percentage of BME people who are in your um, sixth form compared to the rest of your school? All those sorts of questions can be asked in the same um, process as accommodating and welcoming people of colour into your school in senior positions or as teachers. So it's it's an institutional thing, and it's a big timeline. It's not something that happens for six months or a year. It's a big, long project. So that eventually those year sevens, those black teachers, those Asian teachers are coming into an institution that is steeped in equality and diversity.
0: I, th- I think, I mean, I know Bala Lissi and I just jumped right in because that's something that not, I don't I wanna say passion, but that's something that the um, Church of England is really focusing on, is making sure that we understand that our pupils are our leaders. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at making sure that we can continue to have teachers in the classroom and we wanna have more diverse representation in teachers then we need to do our jobs when we go into these uni- um, these schools to say, this is what teaching looks like. Are mm-hmm. we making some mistakes? Can we listen to your voice so that you can now start to build a school environment that you know is worthy of you, yeah. that you can flourish. And and I believe that you hit the nail on the head by saying, if I'm inviting you in, then I need to make sure that you are going to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, Lorraine. It's
1: about, you know, the idea of come as you are and be included, not mm. come as you are and change a bit to tailor and fit what we have in our school. So it's it's mm. really making that authentic, but also being a truth as well, um, mm. and an actual lived experience. So um, you know, when you said earlier about the ability to recognize strengths and the skills of others as, mm. you know, part of your characteristics, um, as a head teacher, you know that that in itself is recognition of how um our middle and senior leaders can be included, just absolutely amazing so um John, I'll ask you, so from being the first black head teacher in Croydon and Brighton, um what are you doing now? Talk to us about what you're focusing on now, please.
2: Yeah, I've been really fortunate. I didn't know what I was going to do when I retired. I just knew I had to retire um And um, the first thing I started to do was work with the NPQH, on the NPQH programme. And in order to do that, I had to set up a limited company. I had no idea um, what it was or what it was about, but I did that in order to do that. But my chair of governors worked at the University of Brighton, running all the mentoring programmes at Brighton. I went to the University of Brighton to work as a placement tutor in the School of Education, so assessing student teachers. We were both called to a meeting to look at statistics for achievement. And it was quite clear, this was about 2014, that if you're a black or brown student, teacher in the School of Education, you were less likely to get a 2-1, more likely to drop out. So, of course, everybody in the room was saying, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Um, So we set up a small mentoring programme, a pilot, where we invited, I think it was about 10 students of colour from the School of Education to have a mentor. We approached people that we knew locally in Brighton that were professionals or um, teachers or worked at the university. Please, can you be a volunteer mentor? Got enough um, volunteers, ran the programme. It was really successful. Eight of the mentors said that they would have, sorry, eight of the mentees said they would have dropped out had they not had a mentor at that time. So we continued to work in the School of Education. The school were really responsive in terms of what we were feeding back, what the students were feeding back about their experiences, about role models, about curriculum, about practices that made them feel a lack of sense of inclusion. The School of Health Science heard about us. So um, they asked if we could do the same there. And of course, we were talking about people, students who were on placements. They were talking about their experiences again. Again, it was fed back, very successful. And the university at the time were looking at the equality and inclusion mark. So uh, my colleague, Beth Thomas-Hancock, approached them and said, look, these two programs are running really well. They have an impact. You're working on decolonizing the curriculum as well as other things at the moment. We think we can offer them to any student of color in any school at the university. And the university said yes. And they funded that since that time, which is about 2015, I think so where did we get all our mentors from somebody um, put it on Facebook or uh, Instagram that this program existed and since then we've had approaches or been able to source people from all over the country and indeed all over the world to be mentors on this program so we've got returning students or students who were at the university of brighton for example who are now um, in nigeria or malawi and they're mentoring students on the program now we've got uh, mentors all over the country different walks of life and when you approach people of color who are professionals and uh, successful and you say to them invariably they'll say yes because they want to give back they want to support but the um, programme impacts not only on the students and the mentors, but on the university itself, because we give feedback constantly about experiences. So it impacts on changes. And the University of Brighton has narrowed the gap that exists for every student of colour in every university in the country because of initiatives like this. As an offshoot of that, we um run mentoring programs where we use university students to mentor secondary school pupils of colour in schools. Fantastic program, brilliant program in Sussex because they've got no role models in schools. So we take the students in, talk to them, five-week program, hour a week. It's It's one of the best things I've ever been involved in to watch those kids and students sit down and immediately start engaging and talking about their aspirations, about their academic achievement, about their lives. And and occasionally, of course, about issues to do with race. Though not so much because their conversations become steeped in what they want to do, what their life aspirations are and things like that, it's really wonderful. So those are two programmes that we do. And as part of the package in schools, we do those programmes plus a peer-to-peer mentoring where we train teachers to um, train year 11, year 10 or 11 pupils of colour to mentor year 7 or 8 pupils of colour. And we leave them with a toolkit to facilitate that process. It's a really good toolkit that's been developed well through us. It can be used for any protected characteristics, but ours is based on race. We've also done a a microaggressions project with a school in Seaford where we sat down with um, secondary school kids and spoke to them about microaggressions. What do you experience? How do you think we can deal with them? And we've developed lesson plans with those kids that they can use with their teachers to to cope with microaggressions in schools. Um, The other thing that I do, and probably my favorite thing, is we do a two hour unconscious bias and conscious inclusion session. The first hour is me talking about the lived experiences of pupils of colour and people of colour in this country at the moment. And that's a long, you know, it's an hour, but it could be much longer. I think I only touch on some of the things that we navigate and experience as people of colour that often um, teachers in schools aren't often aware of there are subtleties about the things that we experience which i'm sure you you all know about that i think it's important to talk about i talk about the media i talk about film and television talk about schools resources books uh role models microaggressions uh, and other lived experience and it's important that people get to understand that and it's very emotive and emotional sometimes we have tears um the session and then my colleague beth spends the next hour talking about the science of unconscious bias why we and we use we quite deliberately behave in that way because of our history because of our experience because of our interpretation of uh, you know life and those sorts of things so it's a very um powerful presentation and we've only recently developed a website because Um, every time we do the presentation, we get recommended. Um, I was in Kent the other day, did my part of the presentation to the Kent Police. We went back a few weeks later. We were invited back a few weeks later to um, do the presentation to senior leaders in Kent Police. And on the back of that, we've been approached by a university in Middlesex to do the same presentation. We did a presentation last year to the CEOs of... um, was it last year of the year before CEOs of, a, of an academy trust ended up doing it to all the heads in every school in the academy and this we're doing the same with another academy trust we're about to do the training to invigilators who invigilate in exams and um, we've just last week done it to a museum in Sussex I, when I first started I did my section to the police then I did it to a national custody forum in Sheffield then I did it to the Ministry of Justice then i presented to the Premier League, and all those institutions and individuals that experience the presentation either invite us back or recommend us to other institutions. So we feel very fortunate and privileged to be able to be in this position and uh, carry out this part of our work, and it's good to be in that position.
1: Well, I mean, John, it's incredible what you are doing, absolutely phenomenal, and um, especially... I really love what you said about you know the university students they're mentoring the secondary schools, and yeah. you know we'd love to definitely speak to you more about that with our work that we're doing with pupils as well. So there's so many amazing correlations with what you said, and also so inspiring to know that even after you know headship, you're still doing such incredible things and even on a bigger no scale.
2: I had no idea that, you know, that would be, and that's another, you know, message to your, those that you recruit onto your Leaders Like Us program, you know, their experience over time will be sought after, really sought after, even when they retire or or leave headship, because um, it's such an important and influential role to be in.
0: Thank you so much, John, for providing us with so many strategies for our aspiring head teachers, and we hope that they reach out to you. We hope that our listeners are encouraged by what you said and that they can participate in making schools more inclusive places by being a mentor, allowing the pupils to lead, contacting the racial justice team to become a host school for aspiring head teachers through our Leaders Like Us program or put forward a UKME teacher to become a participant in Leaders Like Us program. Once again, thank you, John, and thank you, Bola